If there is one mineral you should be worried about not getting enough of, then it's magnesium. Magnesium is the body's master mineral that covers over 300 critical reactions including detoxification, fat metabolism, energy, even digestion. Unfortunately, there are two big problems. Magnesium has been largely missing from the US soil since the 1950s, which explains why it's estimated that up to 80% of the population may be deficient. And most supplements contain only one or two forms of magnesium, when in reality there are at least seven that your body needs and benefits from. That's why I'm excited to tell you about the new magnesium that I've been taking, called Magnesium Breakthrough. It's the ultimate magnesium supplement, easily the best I've seen with all seven forms of this mineral. Magnesium Breakthrough has been selling faster than any other BioOptimizers product, and it's already sold out a few times. With volume discounts combined with our custom 10% coupon code SEAM10, you can save up to 40% of select packages of Magnesium Breakthrough. That's amazing! So head over to magbreakthrough.com forward slash SEAM. You won't find this deal on Amazon or any other website. This deal is exclusive for the listeners of this podcast and is legitimately for a limited time while supplies last. Go to magbreakthrough.com slash seam and use the coupon code seam10 to save up to 40% of select packages to get the most full spectrum and effective magnesium product ever. So when cells recycle their organelles, a huge percent of these molecules get recycled, which is fantastic. But it is always a small percentage and it depends exactly on the conditions but the, the, the glob can't get recycled. So over the course of a long-lived cell, like a neuron, your, your cells just fill up with this goop that you can't get rid of. And the more space occupying it is, the less able the cell is to do its normal functioning. Do you want to know what it is? Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs control your mind welcome to the body mind apartment podcast i'm your host seamland and our guest today is dr sandra kaufman she uses her knowledge in cell biology human physiology and pharmacology to treat aging dr sandra welcome to the show thank you it is so happy to be here i appreciate you having me on yeah i'm uh, also excited to talk to you and uh, but before we get into some of the science and uh, the nitty-gritty can you get, also give like a brief background story about uh, how did you become a doctor and uh, start researching aging? Uh, sure. So I was actually, I was a cell biologist. Um, I actually was a plant cell biologist. I did a lot of stuff with mitochondria, not mitochondria, but with chloroplasts, which is sort of the opposite of mitochondria. Mm-hmm. And I spent a lot of time staring into electron microscopes and trying to figure out how the energy mechanisms work. Um, I went to med school because plants don't pay bills. And... <laughs> I was going to be a surgeon. I was going to be a brain surgeon, but I settled into anesthesia because I love the way drugs affect your body and uh, that sort of thing. Um, Did that for many years, but at the same time, I'm sort of an outdoorsman. I'm an adventurer and I didn't want to stop doing the things that I really like to do. So I thought if I combined all of my knowledge, I could figure out like why we age. And I thought maybe I could make a significant dent into my own aging because I did all of this obviously for very selfish reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, And it dawned on me that there were innumerable things we could do. And there were a lot of people out there doing amazing things, but it completely lacked organization. And that's where I sort of stepped into the picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so true in a way that uh, the uh, science about aging is becoming more clear and uh, we, we don't definitely have like the, uh, 100% accurate answer to the problem of aging, but uh, we're getting close and a lot of different researchers are, yeah, heading in the right direction, I feel. Yeah, I think that, I mean, there are some amazingly brilliant people out there, uh, but what I have discovered is that they live in silos. Mm. For example, there's the the whole, you know, team of folk that think that you age simply because of stem cell failure. And there are some people that are like, you know, I call them the telomere crowd. And so there's, there's these people and they don't really communicate with each other. And I don't think that they, they understand that their science is complementary. Um, so if you take all of these different pieces and you put them together in the big puzzle, I think that's how we defeat aging. Yeah. Like, uh, there's never this one particular thing that is uh, causing, uh, everything to fall apart. Like it's, it's, you, you can say that, uh, it's uh, death by a thousand cuts and uh, all those different factors contribute to, uh, your longevity and uh, ultimately how long you're going to live. 
I, I, can, I agree completely. Um, I try to take it from a thousand cuts down to as few as possible. And <laughs> came up with a list of what I call the seven tenants. Mm-hmm. People will uh, argue one way or another if things should be in various categories. Um, but you're absolutely right. It, it is death by a thousand different little things. And if you don't approach them and treat them, you're sort of stuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, the seven tenets that you talk about in your book. Great. Um, so, you know, feel free to stop me because I tend to run on a bit because this is in fact, my <laughs> sure. favorite subject. Um, tenet one, I call DNA alterations. Um, and you can argue that there are many, many, many things that happen to your DNA. But the big two, at least in my book, are telomere shortening and then epigenetic modification. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can talk in detail. I can list them all or we can talk about each one in detail, however you want to get through this. Uh, yeah, let's go through one by one. So uh, telomeres and uh, essentially DNA damage uh, that is kind of damaging the body. Right. So every time a cell replicates or has undue stress, the telomeres at the end of the DNA gets shorter. And it's sort of like there is a direct correlation to the length of your DNA or length of your telomere to the length of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, that we don't have a clear cause-effect relationship, but there's definitely you know, the pattern. We don't know if elongating your telomeres will elongate life. Uh, We're working on that right now, but clearly the shorter they get, the worse off you are. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, A variety of really big names in this category are are working on this. And I think that this one's going to get solved within the next couple of years, probably through gene therapy, which is just so, so interesting. So Mm -hmm. cool. So it's like, a, as, I, as I understand, or as I've heard, there's the association between longer telomeres and a longer lifespan, but uh, it's not necessarily that shorter telomeres are necessarily meaning that you have like a accelerated aging or a shorter lifespan either. Uh, well, there, there is the correlation of the shorter they get, the shorter your life is going to be because you just can't replicate as well. Um, the shorter they get, your, your cell perceives short telomeres as a double-stranded DNA break, and it's more likely to put the cell into a state of quiescence and then probably senescence or even apoptosis. Mm-hmm. Um, so clearly there is a correlation, but we, we just don't know that if, if you elongate them, if you will actually reverse the process. But clearly, if you, if you sort of um, decrease the length or decrease the shortening, sorry, mm-hmm. get my words right, um, you are going to have uh, probably a better, longer life. Right. So uh, what are the things that shorten them? <laughs> well, just general cell turnover. So anything that is you know, requiring your cells to turn over faster will, will do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and anything that causes stress to your body and death to your cells will actually do this, mm-hmm. um, as well as various uh, biochemical stresses. So we don't have good information about how to block it, but we hopefully we can um, sort of stabilize it. Hmm. You know, um, there, there are like TA65s, uh, cycloestrogenol. It all comes from astragalus. These things are supposed to help. Um, there's some evidence that, that they do, but nothing at this moment is, is earth shattering. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, can, you can regrow the telomeres as well. We're working on that part. <laughs> working on it. <laughs> if we can get, so I'm working with some folks to get a gene for telomerase into cells. And if we can do that, then we can elongate telomeres. But at the moment, not so much. Okay. Well, yeah, there's, then there's some work to do. <laughs> but uh, what, what's the difference uh, between uh, DNA methylation age and uh, telomeres? All right, so DNA methylation has to do with, so methylation is a way that the body or the cell marks DNA to determine what genes are going to get translated and processed into proteins. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to think of them as little lollipops or roadblocks attached to the side of DNA. They're also on histones. Um, For people that don't know, DNA is packaged around histones, which are big globs of protein uh, in a sort of four by two matrix. Um, And by the proteins, the organizational process is such that the DNA wraps around it twice, goes to the next one, wraps around it twice, et cetera. And by putting either methylation or phosphorylation or acetylation on the histones, it also controls what pieces of the DNA get processed. So this is so epigenetics is basically a secondary control system on top of the, your, your regular DNA. 
Mm -hmm. um, but the methylation patterns change over time. And there's some patterns that are very standard and we can measure those. Uh, Steve Horvath invented the Horvath clock and it looks at very standard patterns of DNA changes over time. And then there's epigenetic drift, which is more specific to an individual and the individual's habits. Mm -hmm. um, we used to think that you either got hypo or hypermethylated hyper over the course of time. In reality, it just becomes more hazy what's methylated and what's not methylated. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are definitive clocks, which I think is just amazingly cool, that again, correlate to length of life. Right. So the, at the moment, uh, the Horvath's clock is uh, thought to be like a very uh, accurate predictor of uh, biological age. That is, that is true. Absolutely. And, and there are getting to be better clocks. The Horvath clock looks at 363 pieces of your DNA very specifically. And the ratio of what's hyper versus hypermethylate is sort of kept track of. Since he came out with that, there are other methylation clocks, but it sort of follows the same pattern. So you can argue which ones are newer and better, but he set the standard basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like a... Dr. David Sinclair also uses uh, this, this idea to um, describe his uh, information theory of aging, which basically mm -hmm. means that the, uh, as you get older, and th then the epigenome starts to kind of dysfunction and uh, kind of reads the genome in an like in improper way, and that's going to just accelerate aging. <laughs> oh, with, without a doubt. With, without a doubt. Um, and again, these are all big, giant pieces. And if we don't sort of look at them together, we're not going to defeat aging. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, the fundamentals themselves that, uh, that uh, control, that, you know, guide your epigenetics in the right way are just, you know, the healthy lifestyle habits, exercising, mm -hmm. eating right, sleeping, and et cetera. Exactly. And there, and there are very, um, there are foods that are epigenetic modifiers. So, and, and again, I, I talk about uh, the fact that everything that your mom told you to eat when you were younger is probably an epigenetic modifier. And all the Twinkies she told you not to eat probably modify you like in a negative way. Yeah, yeah, like Whole Foods. Yes, yes. Uh, what's the exactly, I ate a lot of Twinkies when I was a kid and I wish I had known. <laughs> right, well, as a kid, you can get away with it in a way. Uh, you have like a bigger buffer, buffer zone for uh, the junk food and it's not necessarily gonna affect your longevity in the later life that bad. I hope that's true. <laughs> that's also, yeah. Uh, but what's the second uh, tenet then? So the second tenet has to do with mitochondria. They are my favorite uh, organelle in the cell. And of course, they are the energy producers. Um, of course, via the electron transport chain, uh, we process, uh, how, to, how to say it? We create a proton transport system, thus creating energy, uh, meaning ATP, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The two problems that arise with your mitochondria is that somewhere between one to five and even up to 10% of the oxygen gets radicalized. Mm -hmm. So that's problem number one. And then problem number two, one of the rate limiting factors um, is, is nicotinamide because it serves as a proton shuffling mechanism in the mitochondria. So between the free radicals and nicotinamide deficiency, those are the big reasons that your mitochondrial fail. Mm -hmm. And uh, when your mitochondria fail, then you're essentially, you know, you're aging, but you're also going to die just because you're not, your body isn't able to uh, produce energy. That's exactly right. And what I think is amazingly interesting is the first organ system to go in women, we go into menopause. And it's thought that that is uh, the first sign of mitochondrial failure mm -hmm. because oocytes actually have more mitochondria than any other cell. We start out with five to 10,000 per cell, and when you're ready to make a baby, it revs up to about a half a million. And if your body can't make that many mitochondria, uh, you just, you know, at first you, you see a lot of um, uh, cells or eggs that don't work very well, so you get genetic uh, issues. And then ultimately the body just goes into menopause because you can't, there's just this an absolute energy shortage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, what are the things that uh, damage the mitochondria then? Oh, everything damages mitochondria. Mitochondria are their own worst enemy. So I'm sure <laughs> Freud would have a ball with that. Um, but by creating the free radicals, um, and then the radicals attack the mitochondria. So basically, I, I like to t explain free radicals in terms of like little teeny tiny bombs, and they sort of blow up pieces of, of the suborganelle. Um, 
So little pieces of, of the wall sort of get destroyed. The electron transport chain gets destroyed. Um, and of course, our bodies are very smart. We have endogenous free radical scavengers. Uh, of course, they come in many steps, but these fail over time. So by the time you get to be you know, 40, 45, 50, you cannot make enough free radical scavengers or antioxidants to defeat the uh, free radicals that your body is naturally producing. Mm -hmm. So it's like... Um it's a matter of balance between the antioxidants and the oxidants because you do need some um, mild, uh, like mild amounts of uh, reactive oxygen species and uh, free radicals to kind of maintain this uh, healthy, uh, healthy functioning. That is absolutely correct. They serve as sort of informational systems in, in the cell itself because with a little bit, then it stimulates your endogenous ability to make it. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, there's no way by taking a lot of stuff orally that you would ever be able to get rid of all of them anyway. <laughs> People are always worried, I'm taking too many. The answer is no, you're not. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, probably you're excreting most of them. Uh, yes. I think the absorption is pretty terrible. And then your, your liver is probably um, taking apart most of them. So what you're act the, the amount that's bioavailable is probably very small. You are correct. Mm -hmm. uh, is there a way to like repair them, the mitochondria? So the answer is yes and no. Um, there are many agents that actually will increase your endogenous free radical scavenging. So you can do it that way. And clearly you can fix the nicotinamide deficiency with taking oral nicotinamide. Um, it has to be very specific because regular nicotinamide doesn't do it. There's nicotinamide riboside and mononucleotide, and all of the people are sort of arguing at this point which is better. There's also a patch. There's also an IV. There's also an IM. Um, but if you that you know if if you solve your nicotinamide deficiency, that is like the biggest problem at this point in your mitochondria over the age of forty. Mm -hmm. So so that's uh, related to uh, NAD and NADH. That is correct. And, and in fact, nicotinamide is a really interesting molecule because you use it for four different things in your cell. So not only is it one of the rate limiting uh, agents in your mitochondria for electron transport, it is also a necessary cofactor for sirtuins, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, we use it for DNA repair mechanisms. The molecule is actually taken apart and uses patching for your DNA. And then lastly, it serves as a communication system between your oxphos um, between the nucleus and the mitochondria via the OXFOX system, I'm sorry. Anyway, so for those four reasons, you use a lot of nicotinamide. And over the course of time, you need more and you have less. So all of the cellular systems start to fail. Mm -hmm. So uh, NAD is used uh, as well as the nicotinamide is used for uh, the repair processes. And the more damaged your body is, the more NAD and nicotinamide your body consumes. And uh, that is like a vicious feedback loop in a way that you're uh, spending the NAD that you need on the repair processes and you don't have any other energy left for the, you know, uh, the vitality and the just general uh, functioning. Absolutely, without a doubt, which is why there is a huge battle out there now to be the provider of nicotinamide <laughs> to people that are concerned about this sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah, like uh, there are di there are different uh, precursors as well for NAD in addition to nicotinamide, like uh, nicotinamide riboside, uh, nicotinamide mononucleotide, and and uh, niacin even. So, do, which one is the best in your in your opinion? Riboside is probably the best because it's closest to the NAD molecule in terms of getting it in and getting it useful. Um, the problem is is that it's only made by one company you know, for better or for worse. And they used to be pretty good about, you know, allowing other companies to sort of buy the molecule and then put it in their products and they don't allow that anymore. So now they are just, it's true niogen or nothing, um, which has sort of led to other people trying to come up with things. So a few farther steps away is, is the NMN, which you can argue is, is, is it the same? Is it better? Is it worse? It's just a few steps away, but it's probably easier to obtain if you want, you know, to look at the competitive market. Okay. I, I've actually seen like one one additional uh, nicotinamide riboside, like Elysium Health, uh, which right. also... Well, so, right. So it's made by Chromadex, and Chromadex used to give it to Elysium to put in their product basis, but there's some legal issues, and I don't think ah, they do okay. that anymore. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, that's good to hear. Uh, but uh, yeah, let's move on. The third tenet. So the third tenet is what I call um, pathways. And there's a lot of stuff sort of grouped into this. 
Um, basically, there's certain, I mean, well, there are innumerable pathways that affect aging, and people can argue that, you know, there's the insulin different pathways or growth hormones, et cetera. But in my sort of research, I boiled it down to make life a little bit easier to the sirtuins, the AMP kinase, and then the mTOR pathway. And this is a ton of information. But these things basically stem from the fact that they realized that caloric restriction um, was the biggest non-pharmacological way to increase longevity. So by looking into what gets triggered under the conditions of caloric restriction, they discovered all of these pathways. Mm -hmm. um, sirtuins are probably my favorite. We have seven mammalian sirtuins. Um, if people have not heard of this, it stands for the silent information regulator gene. Um, and it senses the environment and the energy and it sort of uh, affects different pieces and parts of your metabolism. Um, sirtuin-1 we know the most about, it's located in the nucleus, and what I think is really cool is it controls your circadian rhythms. So as people get older and they say that they don't sleep as well, um, people just accept it as, as they're old. And the answer is it's because you're sirtuin deficient. So if you can bolster your sirtuins, clearly uh, your sleep and then innumerable other processes improve dramatically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, two uh -huh. are the, so two wins are the ones that, uh, that uh, conduct the DNA repair and uh, they also consume uh, the NAD in, in the process. That is absolutely correct. It's, it's a necessary cofactor. So if you're nicotinamide deficient, your sirtuins, as much as you bolster them, it's not going to work, mm -hmm. which is why um, Basis puts pterostilbene and uh, the nicotinamide in the same package. Mm -hmm. So you get a twofer, which is really nice. Um, you just need other things at the same time. Yeah. Uh, what about uh, mTOR and AMP AMPK? So AMP kinase is sort of, we call it the metabolic master switch. So it basically monitors how much AMP versus ATP that you have, and it perceives that you are, you know, nutritionally deficient, or I take that back, calorically deficient. It adjusts your metabolism to either increase ATP production or decrease ATP production. Mm -hmm. So it's a big balancing act. So if you need ATP, it uses, it takes up more glucose, it breaks down your fat, et cetera. It encourages autophagy because recycling um, organelles is better than just sort of trashing the old ones and not using them. Mm -hmm. At the same time, basically it just changes how you metabolize fatty acids, glycogen, proteins, et cetera, to give yourself like a positive energy balance once you are calorically restricted-ish. Yeah. Uh, but you don't necessarily have to be calorically restricted. You can also uh, activate EMPK with uh, fasting and uh, as well as exercise. Oh, 100%. In fact, that's why fasting works. You are activating uh, the AMP kinase pathway predominantly. And then there's also some evidence that you're um, affecting the mTOR pathway, mm -hmm. which is why I like to cheat. And I take um, molecular agents that sort of do this without having to starve. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the calorie restriction mimetics. Yes, my absolute favorite group of things because I'm just I kind of like food too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a great uh, you know if you have the information then you can know what kind of uh, kind of metabolic switches to just leverage and uh, it's 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 a, like a more uh, effective way of uh, you know quote unquote biohacking the caloric restriction. I like to think so. A lot of cardiac folks sort of don't like my methodology, but I think it's brilliant. <laughs> if I you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, how does it relate to mTOR? So the answer is I don't actually. It, well, I should take that back. They both, both mTOR and AMPK kinase monitor how much energy you have, but they act in opposite ways, right? So the mm -hmm. mTOR is actually um, it's a it's a process of building things. It's anabolic. Um, so this is very important when you are young, for example. Uh, it causes growth of muscle, cell turnover, helps your brain with plasticity, et cetera. But over the course of time, it sort of becomes moderately obsolete and you don't really need it. So by having low energy, it's sort of turning off your mTOR pathway. Does that make sense? Yeah, they work in a, like a seesaw. That, uh, exactly. If, if, you're, if you're in energy restriction, then mTOR is low and AMPK is high. And if you eat and if you're in calorie excess, then uh, it's the opposite. AMPK is low and uh, mTOR is high. That is exactly correct. Um, 
And there's some evidence, of course, that everyone knows if you block mTOR, you're going to increase longevity. And that's why everyone sort of got on the bandwagon for rapamycin. But I think that we're not quite ready to go down that pathway yet because I think there's too many side effects. Yeah, but, and, and, I, and I also like to think that uh, the, the uh, idea that mTOR is accelerating your aging is also somewhat misleading because you need mTOR in order to maintain uh, muscle mass and uh, functional strength and the bone density and those things. So uh, if you constantly, chronically suppress mTOR, then you're going to essentially uh, lose some muscle mass and that can also accelerate aging through uh, sarcopenia. So uh, muscle mass is actually one of the, one of the best things for uh, slowing down aging because you're like more insulin sensitive, you can get away with more calories and yeah, you're just metabolically more healthy. So uh, I think it's not worth it to uh, chronically suppress mTOR all the time because, uh, because of this uh, decrease in muscle mass. Whereas you can, you can still, you know, spend some t time of the day in a low mTOR state, thanks to like intermittent fasting and still uh, get away with it in a way by afterwards eating. So <laughs> I would much rather do some form of fasting rather than try to uh, suppress mTOR all the time. You are brilliant. You are the first person that has so elegantly expressed that without fighting me on the idea that rapamycin isn't so great. <laughs> well, congratulations. That was very, very well said. Thanks. <laughs> and, and the other thing that you can put into your list of why it's not a great idea is that it is going to block any cell system that has to turn over quickly. And my, one of my big concerns on top of the sarcopenia is memories. Hmm. There's evidence that it affects different types of memories, um, specifically spatial memories and auditory memories. So the hippocampus basically can't turn over if you're blocking the mTOR system. Wow. So, so was... I tell people it might be great to live a billion years, but you may not remember any of it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, being a hospital bed. Yep. Anyway, so you're right. I think at some point we will probably come up with some partial blockage of mTOR. The moment rapamycin is not the answer. Um, I like uh, metformin because it is a partial inhibitor without going nuts. And then, of course, I end up giving myself branched-chain amino acids or leucine to try to prevent the sarcopenia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, because a lot of the time people who are promoting the suppression of mTOR, they're also uh, promoting uh, eating like a low-protein diet. So uh, what do you think about that? I think it's ridiculous. I mean, it just depends on what your goal is. For example, if you don't mind being extremely sarcopenic and wasting away, you may live longer. But, you know, as, as an athlete or as a person that would like to maintain my mobility, I think that that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, yeah, because, uh, you know, just being more physically active itself uh, and having more energy will, uh, will kind of protect against aging in general. And uh, yeah, it's uh, one of the best, best ways of uh, slowing down the aging process is to just stay physically active as long as possible. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. So I just, I'm just not a huge fan. And I get into wars all the time over the role of mTOR and rapamycin in aging and not aging. And I've decided it just depends on how you want to age or not age. Mm -hmm. I think those of us that are sort of more athletically inclined put more importance on continuing to be what we are versus folks that are just absolutely determined to you know not die yeah i think you need to define your goals as you come up with your therapies yeah and uh, it's, it's a matter of uh do you want long uh, lifespan or do you want a long health span so yes. um you can you can you can start slowly wasting away at your 40s or you can stay fit up until the late 70s or 80s and uh, then you know start to deteriorate so yeah you, the choice is yours mm -hmm. well said uh so let's move on with the fourth one uh, what's the what's the next in it so 10 and 4 is what i call quality control and the reason it's called quality control is I have sort of a factory model that goes along with this because it's kind of hard to explain to some people. So if you had a factory, your quality control division checks the widgets, as I like to say. And what our body does is it checks our DNA and it checks our protein. So in this category, we talk about repair mechanisms. So basically you have four primary DNA repair mechanisms and four primary protein repair mechanisms. Um, and I throw autophagy in here only because I figure recycling kind of goes along with quality control. You could argue it could go someplace else. I just put it here for sort of ease of conversation. Mm -hmm. um, but 
the reason this is important, and I especially sort of dwell on the DNA repair, is that inclusively, you have 10 to the fifth DNA errors per cell per day. Mm. And that's a lot. And if you don't fix them, you will have horrible disease issues and you will die a horrible death. What are what are the other, you know what what are some other things that accelerate DNA damage? Lots of things do actually. So they come from free radicals that leak out of your mitochondria. They come from radiation, from the sun. They come from just the mechanical stress on your DNA of the mitosis, meiosis, etc. Um, various drugs can do it. Innumerable things can do it. They come basically. It's your DNA is pretty fragile, despite what people think. Mm-hmm. So any kind of environmental stress, like uh, like air pollution and uh, heavy metals and those things, they'll also accelerate it. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, and uh, we've mentioned a few of them, like sirtuins re- repair DNA. Like what are the other uh, mechanisms? So, so sirtuins don't repair the DNA. Sirtuins cause you to make the proteins that then repair the, the, the DNA. Uh, okay. So it's, you know, it, it's all sort of convoluted and connected. I like to tell people it's a giant Venn diagram with overlapping craziness in every direction with arrows going everywhere. So you're right. The sirtuins create uh, the environment whereby the DNA is prepared faster, but it doesn't actually do it itself. Um, What does do it, and it just depends on what type of DNA damage there is. So there's like a base excision repair is for single-stranded damage, nuclear, nuclear, tripping over my words here, I'm sorry. Nucleotide excision repair, or NER, is for double-stranded, and then there's homogenous and non-homogenous, et cetera. But the key here, which I think is really interesting, is there's something called a PARP, which is a poly-ADP ribose polymerase. Mm -hmm. And this is basically a chain of pieces of the NAD molecule um, that gets tagged onto any damage in the DNA. And then depending on, of course, what, how much is damaged, et cetera, different mechanisms sort of step in. And this can be a simple protein repair mechanism, or it can be something that has, you know, I don't know, up to 17-ish protein pieces that come in to repair the DNA. Um, sometimes it does a great job, and sometimes it doesn't. But again, if you are deficient in NAD, you are not going to repair your DNA as you should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that is correct <laughs> that's and that's kind of unfortunate as well because uh pe- pe- people uh, who are let, let's say under more oxidative stress then they're already by default not producing enough in nad either so it's a, another like a vicious cycle yep and unfortunately if you don't fix your dna um on a cellular level the cells become senescent apoptotic they can cause cancer etc senescent cells of course cause chronic inflammation um, and there's also evidence that if you don't fix your DNA, you get cardiovascular disease, neurodegeneration, and there's even evidence linking it to Alzheimer's and Huntington's. Hmm. So it's an extremely important mechanism. Yeah. Besides like living a healthy lifestyle, is there like any specific tactic or a strategy that can promote DNA repair? Absolutely. So there are over-the-counter agents that actually um, speed it up. You can speed up the repair. So, for example, there's something called polypodium. Um, it's sold as fern block, and that increases repair rates of specifically in your skin, probably everywhere, but they've studied it mostly in your skin. Um, there's also something called AC11 that comes from a plant in the Amazon, and that increases uh, repair rates. Hmm. There absolutely are things you can do. Hmm. That's, that's, that's fascinating. Uh, but uh, let's talk about autophagy as well. So how does, how does it, that help with uh, these repair processes? Well, autophagy doesn't really help with repair processes necessarily. I just like to think of it as quality control. So as your cell senses that a mitochondria is failing, it has two choices. It can either just recycle it or just not use it, mm-hmm. right? So it's just depending on the energy level, if you have a lot of energy floating around, it's just going to make a new mitochondria. Yeah. If your energy levels are low, it's going to recycle those pieces and parts and make you a brand new mitochondria. Mm-hmm. There are, of course, pros and cons. One saves energy, but the other one creates lipofusion. So, again, it's a balance. Yeah, because yeah, too much autophagy can also be detrimental with negative side effects. That is correct. So some people like to think that encouraging autophagy is good. Other people seem to think that it's not Again, I think that it, you, you need to hit a healthy balance. 
Yeah. I think and, the balance fails over time. Yeah. And probably like the prevention, uh, disease prevention with autophagy is better than uh, using it to, you know, directly treat a certain condition. Oh, without a doubt. In fact, if so, if you augment your free radical scavengers and antioxidants and you help your mitochondria, they are less likely to fail. So you're less likely to need to recycle them. Therefore, not only do you save energy, but you get less lipofusion accumulation over time. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you mentioned lipofuscin. So uh, what is that? And uh, how does it affect uh, aging? So that is going to be in our last tenant, which I call waste management. Okay. Um, well, we'll we can, leave it we at can, All right. We'll get to it in a few minutes. Yeah. So yeah, the next one, number five. All right. So tenant number five, I call the security system because in my factory model, you have to guard the factory from, from the evils of the world. Um, and in this system, it's basically the immune system and then the inflammatory cascade. Um, and when you are young, this is very helpful. Right, you fight off infection, you respond to vaccines, you don't get sick, etc. But as you age, all of these things that are supposed to help you hurt you. So several things happen. I call them the big three, and they're probably more, but I think these are the most important issues. So that number one, the cells that are supposed to protect you from infection fail, and so your infection risk goes up which is why old people are going to get hit with this coronavirus business because they don't have the ability to fight it off because their system is not as good as it used to be. Right. Um, Problem two is that your body gets put in a chronic state of inflammation. So when you were young, you're just, you you put in in a bit of inflammation and then it goes away. When you are old, it doesn't go away. And the more inflammation you have, the more DNA damage you have, the more cell death you have, blah, 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 blah. So it's a negative cascade. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, all of these cells, again, that are supposed to help you coming from the bone marrow, um, the bone marrow can't do what it was supposed to be doing. And these cells, instead of creating normal immune cells, become lymphomas and leukemias. Oh. That's uh, quite unfortunate. It is. And everyone's shocked when grandma gets leukemia. And the answer is... It happens to innumerable grandmothers and grandfathers out there because that's just part of aging. Yeah. Uh, so uh, does uh, NAD help to kind of prevent that or slow it down? Uh, I have to say that NAD in this role probably doesn't do a whole lot. Um, what we need to do is we need to keep the cells healthy, uh, basically stem cell health, uh, to avoid the, the bone marrow cancers. Um, and then in terms of the immune system and the inflammatory cascade, it's a matter of blocking it. Um, so the good news is, well, over-the-counter anti-inflammatories are pretty terrible because it blocks the cascade lower down, especially like the COX-2 inhibitors and the nonspecific NSAIDs and that sort of thing. But if you can block the whole cascade up at the top, which is um, basically it's tumor necrosis, I'm my head. Tumor necrosis factor alpha and a variety of the other ones at the top, then you can stop the whole sort of smoldering, increasing inflammatory response. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I have most people on pretty significant anti-inflammatories. Right. And, uh, you know, eating more fruits and vegetables isn't necessarily going to cut it or <laughs> what? Well, that's what everyone wants to know. And the answer is those things are great but there's just not enough of the stuff in those. Right. I mean, you know, for example, um, you know, we'll, well, we'll get to examples later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's true. Uh, the uh, inflammation itself just uh, is increasing with, with age and uh, there's not, there's not a lot you can do about it besides limiting your exposure to additional sources of inflammation and kind of supporting your own um, endogenous production of these antioxidants. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely correct. But I like it because there's a lot of oral agents that will do actually both. And I'm going to digress here for a second. For example, my, mm. one of my favorite nutrients is something called astaxanthin. Mm. And it is a free radical scavenger and an antioxidant all by itself, completely harmless. It embeds itself into the wall of the mitochondria, sucks up some free radicals, and then disappears from your system in 24 hours. It's amazing. Yeah. Wow. And at the same time, it, it stimulates your own endogenous system to make the superoxide dismutases and the catalase. It's just an amazing substance. Yeah, and you get it from like fish and salmon. Right, so it's basically anything pink or red in the marine system. It comes from a unicellular algae 
Um, and basically, if you look at any bird bath that's kind of scummy, it's the green gunk in there. If you stress that environmentally, it will turn orange um, from astaxanthin. Mm. And that has sort of infiltrated the marine system. And the answer is absolutely. If you eat anything pink, especially the fish, there's astaxanthin in it. Um, it's also, if you buy fish that's artificially colored, it's artificially colored with <laughs> astaxanthin, which I always think is like a, an awesome addition to your diet. Um, or you could just take it sort of in pill form. Yeah. Uh, like, are there any plant-based astaxanthin sources? Well, it comes from the plant. I mean, it comes from an algae. Okay. So it can get and into... There's like huge, giant algae farms in Hawaii and Iceland. And, you know, so technically, I guess it's, you know, organic and vegan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Uh, next up, number six. Number six, this is the workforce. And what I tell people is, despite the fact that I pretend that all cells are the same, they're clearly not. So I divide them into various categories versus how long they live, uh, if they're mobile or stationary, um, and then a few other categories. So for example, a red cell has different requirements than a liver cell, because a red cell lives for about three months, and a liver cell lasts for about eight years, and a brain cell lasts for about 100 years, hopefully. Hmm. Um, I throw stem cells into this category, because we need to maximize those, because they're niche dependent, and nutrients and such must be brought to them. And every problem that we talk about sort of is true for stem cells because they're very long-lived and we need them to be long-lived. And then I throw senescent cells in there as well because we're starting to get treatments for senescent cells. So it needs to go somewhere. So I stuck it in this category. Okay. Um, What what do you think about stem cell therapy then? Is it, uh, is it as hyped up or, or should should people believe in the hype or what's about it? To be perfect. Well, the problem with the stem cell therapy, well, so, Several things. Some stem cell therapies use your own stem cells, and other stem cells cell therapies use somebody else's cells. Yeah. Right. So that's two different conversations. To use your own stem cells, they either get them from the fat or from your bone marrow. And I think the FDA has sort of uh, eliminated the option for the moment of getting it from your fat. And I don't exactly understand why. Um, but a lot of companies take the take your bone marrow, take out your stem cells, sort of nurse them, get them to reproduce, and then reinject them. And I think this will work or not work depending on how old you are. So the older you get, the worse off your stem cells are. So if you're kind of old, giving yourself older stem cells isn't going to help. Hmm. If you are middle-aged and you still have fairly healthy stem cells, then giving you more of them probably is effective. Uh, but, but you can kind of bank your own stem cells. Right. You can bank them and then they can grow them. But you have to bank them while they're still healthy. Yeah. Like so. it, it's pointless to take a really old person's stem cells, bank them and give them back because they weren't doing anything before. They're not going to do much now. Right? right. So you need to harvest them while they're still sort of young, but I don't know what the life expectancy of a stem cell is outside of your body. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know they freeze them and they treat them and they do all those sort of things, but I don't know how efficacious all of that is. And I think it's kind of new to get any real idea of, but people have said that these uh, therapies are, are beneficial. I just don't know how beneficial. Hmm. And they're quite yeah. pricey. Yeah, so it's just, you know, such a new thing. And uh, we kind of have to get, get some, maybe like uh, some long, long-term studies as well as like other trials. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the government is sort of struggling, at least our government, is struggling with what's ethical and what's not ethical and what can you do and what could you not do. And so it seems like these companies sort of grow up saying, okay, we're going to, you know, harvest your stem cells from here, there, or the other, you know, and then the, some rule comes by or some law that says, oh, can't do that. And then they take a dive. So I think it's going to be at least five to 10 years. And so we sort of have a set way and understanding of what stem cell therapy really is. Yeah. And, you know, the problem is also that if you ban this completely, you for, forbid it from uh, use, then people are still going to do it at some sort of like an underground clinic with uh, some, some sort of like a very strange doctor who, <laughs> who you can't really trust. So yeah, like it's people are going to still do it. Whether or not it's going to be done under the right supervision depends on the laws and uh, what kind of, how does the government, you know, regulate it? No, exactly, exactly. And I'm not sure if I would feel safe re-injecting my own stem cells if i didn't really know who was who was taking care of them you know in my yeah. absence yeah that's right uh so yeah this brings us to the last in it number seven 
All right, so this is my favorite category, which is, uh, as you said, waste management, because in any situation, you have to take out the trash. Um, this is two basic topics. Number one, it's glucose. And everyone knows that glucose is bad for you, but no one seems to understand why it's bad for you. And I think that it is bad for you because glucose bonds non-enzymatically with everything. It sticks to lipids, it sticks to DNA, it sticks to proteins, creates this thing called an advanced glycation end product. Um, and what that does is it's extremely inflammatory. So your body is already inflamed, as we talked about, and this makes that worse. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is whatever the uh, glucose stuck to, that protein or DNA loses function because molecular function is based on shape, and the shape is gone because now it's glued to something. So your body spent all of this energy making a protein that is now totally wasted. And then lastly, and probably one of the worst things, is that AGEs are very sticky, and they like to stick to collagen. Hmm. Problem with sticking to collagen is collagen is basically your, your support system for the body. It makes up the heart, your skin, anything that has a shape is collagen based. So the more um, AGEs that glues get glued onto your collagen, the more you lose structural integrity, which I'm convinced is why people have congestive heart failure without actually having any coronary disease. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's why skin droops over time. You just lose structural integrity. Mm -hmm. um, the good news is that we are beginning to understand this, so you can block glycation, and there's some evidence that you can strip glycation. But again, we're at the very sort of beginning of all of this, and when I say, you know, an AGE, most people looked at me like I've got three heads, because this is a word that people are not used to hearing, but I think that will be huge down the line. Yeah, I, I totally believe and agree with you that the uh, combination of, you know, when uh, glucose just combines together with these different molecules, then it's just going to ravage your blood vessels and uh, the collagen tissue and uh, just <laughs> causes more damage uh, in the long run. Yeah, and there's this great machine. We don't have it over in the United States. I think it's in Germany and the Netherlands, and it's an AGE reader. And you're supposed to be able to stick your arm in it, and it will tell you how glycated you are. Mm, well, that's, that's I good. would love to have one of those if the company is listening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at the moment, I don't. Uh, we use um, hemoglobin A1C to sort of measure it, but that's it's a very imprecise way of looking at it because your red cells turn over every three months. So it's sort of like a short-term glance at your AGEs instead of a long-term understanding. Mm -hmm. So would it would it be uh, like is is the chronic elevation of your blood sugar bad that is causing the AGEs, or is it like a like a particular spike? you know, like a large spike versus a small spike spread throughout the entire day? That is a very excellent question. I would venture to guess it probably, I mean, this is just a guess because I'm not a biophysicist, but one would think that high levels are more likely to glycate uh, than lower levels. On the other hand, all of it glycates. It's just a matter of speed. Mm -hmm. so, so clearly the higher concentration, the faster it's going to be. Is that more than a slow accumulation? It's, it's hard to say. Right. And uh, a higher spike would also uh, cause more oxidative stress in the particular moment compared to something like, you know, the uh, like a slower uh, incident response. Mm -hmm. Probably. I would imagine so. Yes. Right. So therefore, it's still a, like a, somewhat a good idea to, let's say, if you do consume carbohydrates, then having having together with some like fiber or some protein and fats to kind of slow down the response. It sounds good in theory. To be honest, I don't know if that would work or not, but it does sound very good in theory. <laughs> um, I mean, I can tell you that there are ways to decrease glucose absorption, which help. There are ways to, there, it's a seven enzymatic, non-enzymatic step to create an AGE. And the good news is that every step, there's a way of blocking it. So this is certainly, we can overcome this and it's not necessarily has to be diet based. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, but what about lipofuscan? You We mentioned that. Yes. So this is one of my favorite things because it's sort of bizarre. So I like to think of it, and people have heard me say this, I call it the kitchen drawer phenomenon. So do you, do you live in a, I assume you live in a house or an apartment? Yeah. House. Do you have a kitchen drawer full of garbage? Uh, not, not really. Really? <laughs> not, not a lot or maybe like a little bit. 
then, then you are very different than everyone else. So most people that have a house or a kitchen and that they've lived in it for a long time, there's always this drawer of junk that you don't know what to do with. And you sort of stick it in this drawer. And then over the course of time, the drawer gets so full, you can't really open it or close it, but you don't actually just pay attention to it. It doesn't do anything. It's just taking up space. Mm -hmm. um, and it's funny, when I say this in public, everyone nods their heads like, oh, we all have the same drawer. So I'm sort of shocked that you don't have that drawer. But maybe you will someday. Anyway, <laughs> that's what lipofusion is. So when cells recycle their organelles, a huge percent of these molecules get recycled which is fantastic. But it's always a small percentage and it depends exactly on the conditions, but the, the, the glob can't get recycled. And it gets put in, in a vesicle and it gets shoved into the back of the cell and it just sits there and does nothing. Um, so over the course of a long-lived cell, like a neuron, your, your cells just fill up with this goop that you can't get rid of. And the more space occupying it is, the less able the cell is to do its normal functioning. There's a great study. They looked at very old men and their brains when they donated them, and they were just full of lipofusion. Mm, wow. um, and the other interesting thing is we're not the only creatures that have this. Apparently, it's how they—it's the most accurate way of measuring the age of crustaceans. So, if you want to know how old your lobster is, you can measure its lipofusion levels. Mm, okay. Kind of cool. Yeah. So what is causing the accumulation of liposuction? Like, uh, are there any particular? It's just, it's, it's the pieces and parts of the mitochondria mostly that can't get recycled. And it's, it's, it's usually the metals, some proteinaceous globs. It's just the last remnant piece that the cell can't recycle. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. It's the, uh, it's the garbage that you can't take out. Yeah. That's, and is there a way to eliminate it then? So the only thing that's actually been demonstrated to help um, in, a, in a mouse or rat model, I forget which rodent they used, was uh, curcumin. Hmm. Uh, to a certain degree, curcumin helps because it reduces uh, the burden on the mitochondria, so you're not recycling the organelles as quickly. Um, but there's some evidence, not tons, but some evidence that you can actually help get rid of some of it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's cool. Like cur curcumin also... Uh, chelates uh, iron so uh, that's probably one of the mechanisms it could be very well could be um curcum i love curcumin it's one of my absolute most favorite things in the world i think everyone should be on it as long as it's bioavailable because it does amazing things all over the cell yeah and but and that's actually so so that sort of brings us to what i did next um and you're probably aware of this but i'm just going to say it anyway I decided that with all of these tenants of aging and all of these agents that did various things, I needed an organizational chart to keep track of what did what and how well it did it. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think this is where my contribution to this whole longevity business lies in the fact that I'm trying to numericalize the contributions of different molecular agents. Yeah, it's like a, like a rating system uh, for these different supplements. Exactly. Uh, so, for example, yeah, like, why would you take 17 antioxidants but nothing for your DNA or nothing for your glucose? Right. The idea is if you know what things do, you can create an organized program for yourself. Mm -hmm. So how does, it, uh, how does it look like? So basically, because there are seven tenants that we just talked about, I decided I use something called uh, the hierarchy of evidence, right? So do, does an agent work? in any of these categories um, in theory? Does it work in a test tube? Does it work in cell culture? Does it work in small animal models? And lastly, does it work in humans? So based on how much evidence there was, um, and then how, you know, how much evidence, is it efficacious at what level, et cetera, it got either a zero, one, two, or three. It started out when I did this as checks and minuses and then two checks and big zeros. And it just turned into a numbers game mm -hmm. so that every agent that I have looked at, and I think I'm up to 38-ish because this takes forever. Every agent comes with a seven-digit rating number. So it's you know, 0 0.3, 0 0.1, 0.2, et cetera. And each number corresponds with the tenants so that you know exactly what it does in each category. So like a higher number is uh, more efficacious? Correct. 
Correct. So just as, a, as an example, I mentioned astaxanthin before. It is amazing for your mitochondria, but it does nothing for your DNA. So tenant zero or tenant one gets a zero. Tenant two, which is mitochondria, gets a three. And the only other system it helps with, it's actually a pretty potent anti-inflammatory, um, but human evidence is not great, so I gave it a two. So if you look at this, it says 0.3.0.0.2.0.0. So it's got two categories with those numbers in it. So when you create a grid, which is what I encourage people to do, you combine that with other agents so that you can add up the points and see which categories you're doing well in and which categories you need to augment it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a good uh, good way of looking at it because yeah, you can you can kind of you get uh, lost in uh, in trying to get or you kind of kind of get lost in some of the benefits of a, of a particular supplement and thinking that it's going to just help everything, but it may not be uh, that useful for your particular issue. For example, like you, 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 someone may have like problems with their mitochondria, but not their immune system. So therefore they will have to take something that promotes their mitochondria health, uh, not, not their immune system. Right, right. And, and conversely, I tell people, and my big examples are always diabetes, right? If you're diabetic and you have significant glucose issues, you need to take agents that are maximized waste management, you know, in that category. Or if you have inflammatory issues, I will tell you, you need to maximize category five, right? Mm -hmm. If you know your family has problems with DNA repair, maximize that category. So you can take this, if you're completely reasonably normal, make all the numbers sort of be cumulatively even, or you balance them based on what your specific need is. Mm -hmm. so, but I like, my, 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 my issue is when I started doing this, I would ask everyone why they took a particular supplement, and they would say, my favorite answer, um, because my mother's cousin's uncle's aunt told me it was good for me, <laughs> Yeah. right? And I decided that that was not a good way to base your longevity program on, right? There needed to be science behind this. Yeah. Uh, like what are some other examples, uh, other supplements or compounds? So carnosine is one of my favorites. I love carnosine. So it's a dipeptide. We all have it in our bodies. Um, men have more than women. Older people have less than young people. Uh, as an athlete, what's kind of cool about it is it gets into your muscles and it serves as a buffer. So if you're doing a lot of exercise, you don't get that burn so that you don't ache the next day. So that's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. um, but in reality, it's amazing for your mitochondria because it, it is, in fact, a free radical scavenger. And as well, it also increases your uh, endogenous antioxidants. Um, but one of the cool things about it is that it's a transglycosylating agent. So it can interrupt the production of the AGEs. Yeah. Awesome. So there are, there are only a few things that can actually do that, that we can get readily and carnosine is so beneficial. Um, so that got a three in that category because it's extremely efficacious. Um, yeah. Yeah. In fact, what I think is really cool, they even make eye drops out of it. And I, I tell people this all the time, it can reduce um, cataracts and also reduce presbyopia because basically that's glycation of the lens over time. Yeah. Yeah, carnosine is quite amazing, and uh, it's also one of those like uh, staple longevity supplements that I do believe uh, would work, and uh, yeah, like great for reducing AGEs and uh, kind of lowering the acidity, and uh, just just uh, like a good uh, longevity supplement. Oh, it's fantastic. the The only caveat to anyone that has not tried carnosine is if you take too much at one time, you sort of get this tingly paresthesia that feels like your skin is on fire. Um, if anyone takes too much and that happens, I will tell you that it goes away after 20 minutes and it feels really weird. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you've done that or not. I've done it a few times because I've forgotten that I've already taken my dose and then I do it and I go, Ooh, that's tingly. Um, yeah. but it does go away. It's self-limiting. I usually take like a thousand milligrams per day. That's probably like the minimal effect of those. Yeah, the only, the only problem with taking a lot of it every day is you actually have an enzyme, carnosine ACE, which gets rid of it. It's going to break it down into the, the individual peptides. Um, so you may want to take a carnosine holiday, Just, you know, take, take a week or two off, let your mm -hmm. um, enzymes sort of like go back down to normal because they're going to rev up with high doses. Right. So if you come off of it for a little bit, then you can go back on. So I tell people to cycle it only because it's, you know, it's a natural agent. And so you're going to have feedback loops. Yeah. Or you can, you can take it only on days where you're like, 
eating uh, a bit more carbs or something that has more glucose to fight the uh, AGs. Yeah, hundred percent. But basically, just there's so you just need some sort of intrinsic way of of cycling. You just can't take a lot all the time because your yeah. body will just break it down. Yeah, uh, we also talked about curcumin. So, what's uh, curcumin's uh, rating? Ooh, ooh, see, this is a good one. So, curcumin is it's, it gets a two in DNA because it is an amazing positive epigenetic modifier. Um, it gets a three for your mitochondria. Um, it, only get, it gets a one. There's some evidence that helps uh, for your sirtuins, not tons. Does not do anything for your DNA. It is huge for the inflammatory system. It's one of the top things that blocks uh, the cascade of the inflammatory system. And it's actually, I gave it a three in waste management because it's one of the few things that can theoretically get rid of some of the lipofusion in your brain. So the, so the number is 231 no one's going to memorize that, but I have all the stuff on the website. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really good. Uh, other examples? Oh my gosh, well, I could do this all day. Um, <laughs> let's, let's take one so, more. So one more. So let's talk about nicotinamide because we talked about that a bunch, right? So nicotinamide doesn't do anything for your DNA, so it gets a zero. Obviously, it gets a three for your mitochondria because if you don't have it, you're going to not have any energy. It gets a three in aging pathways because it's a sirtuin activator, like we talked about. I, I mean, I'm not an activator, a cofactor. Um, it gets a three in quality control because if you don't have it, you can't fix your DNA. And then it has a zero in, other, in the other last three categories. So it's zero, three, 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 zero, zero, zero. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a cool one. But lots of cool ones. Yeah, we're going to... And then I like to pick things that are like kind of crazy. So for example, let's see, what's a neat one? Like I love a Colonia Cava. It has twos almost straight across the board. So it's not fantastic at any one thing, but it's just a great background. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it does crazy things. It's a mast cell stabilizer and it helps your hair grow. Nice. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, like polypodium leuk- uh, leukomatosis, not, not leukomatosis, that's a disease, leukotomus, so polypodium, that, as I said, fern block, that is fantastic to increase DNA repair rates. Okay. Um, and that's amazing. You also have like all these uh, listed out in your book. Uh, so 15 are in the book because I didn't know if anyone would actually ever read the book, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I kind of wrote it for my own uh, edification and it's sort of become the new dictionary or encyclopedia of anti-aging because it is just packed with information yeah um but again i didn't know if anyone would read it so there's 15 agents in the book and then there are 30 somewhere between 33 and 38 on the website and i just did four more that will be put on there shortly Because what happens is I think I've reached the end of every possible agent and then I get an email that says, hey, what about X? And I go, ooh, that's interesting. And then I spend like a month looking at X, decide if it's worth it or not, and then, and then you know, give it all numbers. Yeah, yeah. We're going to put all the links in the show notes as well for people to check it out. Uh, oh, fantastic. Yeah, but uh, you also offer some other services, health services at your uh, clinic. Uh, no, I don't actually, because okay. I, I don't have a clinic. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. Um, I'm actually, see, this is sort of silly. So my real job is I'm an anesthesiologist and I started doing all this anti-aging business out of just pure selfish interest, I suppose. Um, it's now become this kind of big hobby that's grown completely and utterly out of control. But I don't have a clinic and I don't actually see patients because I don't actually have time unless you're a kid and you want me to put you to sleep. Um, <laughs> what I do do is people send me emails all the time with specific questions. Can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And I answer all emails um, myself. It is just me, myself, and I. And it sometimes takes me a little bit of time, but I get to all of them. Um, and then I, what I do sometimes do is video or phone consults because people got, you know, with some complex medical issues, they want questions answered. And, I, and I'm happy to do that. But I don't actually have an office, so I wouldn't come to see me. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, like if people uh, wanted to contact you, then uh, they can find your uh, email at the uh, website. That is correct. And everyone does. It's really impressive. <laughs> Keeping you busy. Yeah, unfortunately, this this hobby is getting a little out of control. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe it turns into a business in the future. No, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm trying to find ways of, of doing that, but my goal when I 
when I did this was just, you know, I, I wanted to disseminate information so that people have an idea of what to do. I didn't clearly, you know, I'm, I'm not out to make money, so I don't want anyone to think that I'm doing this for, for you know, cash. It simply has to do with helping people figure out how to organize a longevity program that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I definitely recommend uh, checking out the book, and uh, it's a great read. And it's a, you know, the the, the uh, reading system is really unique and uh, something that uh, would uh, help the people to kind of navigate the uh, vast amount of science that is out there. Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. So uh, it's been uh, great talking with you. So uh, before I ask my last question, uh, where can people get the book, and uh, where can they contact you? So the book is super easy to find because it is on Amazon and it's called the Kaufman protocol and the um, website is equally as easy to find because it's the Kaufman protocol. Um, it's one F and two N's. Uh, that's the only reason that sometimes people can't find me. So it's K A U F as in Frank M A N N protocol. That's good. We're going to put the links in the show notes. And uh, my last question is what's this one piece of advice or habit you wish you adopted sooner? I wish I'd have known about all of this before the ripe old age of 45. I would, I would have started when I was 35. So if you're going to start, start early. Don't wait till you're already old. Avoid aging at all costs. Right. Well, it's, it's, it's always better to uh, start, uh, you know, regardless of the age. And uh, it's never too late. <laughs> But you'd be surprised because people, I like say I'm into longevity and they say, oh, I'm going to tell my parents. So they assume that this has to do with 70-year-olds and 80-year-olds. And I tell them, it's you, mm-hmm. right? If we are having a conversation, other than, you know, other than the you know, teenagers, if, if I'm having a conversation with someone that's an adult, they should be on a longevity program. They are going to age. They don't want to think about it. But we've got to start early rather than later. Yeah, yeah, and uh, like we, like we said earlier, the um, you can choose to have like a long lifespan or a long health span. So if you're taking care of yourself actively all the time, then your health span is gonna naturally increase, and uh, that can indirectly already help you to live longer as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so it's been great talking with you, and uh, yeah, maybe we're gonna do another podcast in the future to go. Fantastic! Yeah. yeah, please, that would be fun. I love talking about this. It's my favorite subject. All right, that's it for this episode of the Body, Mind, Empowerment podcast. If you want to support us, then I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes and the other social media platforms. You can now order my new book, Metabolic Autophagy, that covers a lot of the same topics that we talked in here. It's a collection of certain lifestyle habits and practices that prioritize longevity as well as performance. To support this podcast, you can also become a Patreon and get exclusive video lectures from my biohacking bootcamp that covers circadian rhythms, intermittent fasting, autophagy, resistance training, biofeedback, and many more. But other than that, my name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.